All right. Welcome. <laughs> Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Today, today's 52. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, welcome to those tuning in now and later. It's so nice to see you here. Welcome to our little family powwow. <laughs> um, this is a special edition of the Net Positive podcast. So, my dad's been recording a podcast, what, you're up to 70 episodes or something? I think that's right. Over 70, yeah. Something super ambitious. Um, and in addition to that, we've been doing these energy crash courses, this father-daughter duo. And then we thought for Earth Day, what a wonderful occasion to bring the little sister in. Um, <laughs> so today we're going to talk a little bit about the origins of Earth Day, what's exciting to us, what we're seeing as trends, and then also kind of where the movement's going. Um, so welcome again. Um, so for those that don't know you, Sky, maybe, you know, for our regular listeners, maybe you should bring them up to speed and tell them a little bit about who you are. Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Sierra. It's really nice to be here with you two on Earth Day. Um, my name is Sky Flanagan. I'm the, the youngest of the Flanagans on the call. Um, and I work at the Harvard Center for Climate Health and the Global Environment at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. Uh, we aim to increase the public's awareness of the health impacts of climate change um, and make it personal so people feel inspired to take action. Um, and we do a lot of really interesting work very much at the intersection of science, communication, and making sure that people recognize that we have a lot of positive solutions out there um, that we need to embrace to tackle the climate crisis. Awesome. We're so glad you're here, Sky. Um, so we're going to start us off, start our questions off with you, Dad, because last year, last year this time, you were interviewing Dennis Hayes, one of the founders of Earth Day. So do you want to reflect on that conversation a little bit? And Yeah, I, I'd love to. Tell and, us a little uh, bit about that. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for hosting and Sky, thanks for joining. It's, uh, it's, it's an amazing excuse to get together with one's daughters and to uh, recognize that we're all in the sustainability movement. And we're also, the three of us are incredibly optimistic. And, and that's a, a pretty unusual thing to be in this day and age of war and all sorts of climate, uh, the climate emergency that's upon us. But but I've known Dennis Hayes for many years, and last year he graciously uh, sat down for an interview. We have a podcast that, um, podcast, hey, Michael Totten is on the line, a podcast that, that we did with him. And he describes that he was in grad, grad school at Harvard, and there was a young senator from Wisconsin, Gaylord Nelson, a junior senator, uh, who recruited him to come and, and to try to kind of create these environmental teach-ins. And one thing led to the other and they decided to create Earth Day. And before they knew it, uh, they selected a day that was sort of in between spring break and, and final exams for college students, figuring that the college students would be a big part of this. And before they knew it, they had uh, 20 million people involved uh, in the first Earth Day. And uh, of course it, it, it was um, modeled almost after like the anti-war demonstrations, the Vietnam War demonstrations. And, and there was a, a growing concern in 1962, uh, Rachel Carson produced or wrote the book Silent Spring, talk about the impact of pesticides on our society, a silent spring with no birds chirping, no insect chorus at night. 1969, the Santa Barbara oil spill shocked America. It was the biggest oil spill in America at the time. 
And that led to this uh, Gaylord Nelson, the senator, say, hey, we need to do something about this. And, and Dennis Hayes came along and created, uh, created the first Earth Day. So it was an amazing thing. It's, uh, it's, grown, it's grown in tr tremendous proportions. I remember I was in seventh grade. In fact, I just talked to my uh, elementary school bud this morning to kind of remember our first Earth Day. We were pulling garbage out of the woods and planting a tree. And it was a, it was a, a kind of a funny thing to be celebrating the Earth. Uh, Earth, really? It's not a holiday, but, but it's, turned into, it's turned into something really big. And, I encourage people to check out that, that, that podcast with Dennis Hayes. He, he tells a great story and puts, it, puts the context. And may, many people believe that that really was the beginning of the environmental movement as we know it uh, in the United States. So what was your first Earth Day like? Well, it was, it was uh, you know, roadside cleanup. Uh, and, and, um, but as Henry Dudley and I were talking this morning, it really sparked us to take action. Uh, he and I formed a recycling program at our school uh, and got everybody involved in recycling. Um, and, and I think the whole notion of, you know, we just need to turn a corner as a society. We don't want these oil spills. We don't want pesticides destroying our, our nature. Uh, you know, we want clean air. Everybody wants clean air. The air pollution had gotten out of control, as, as we all know. So, so that, that whole, that first Earth Day, 1970, led to in California, the California Environmental Quality Act came right out in the, at the federal level. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency was established. The Clean Air Act was passed. The Clean Water Act was passed. The Endangered Species Act was passed, all in the Richard Nixon administration, by the way, which is incredible. So it, so it really had a catalytic effect. And I think Dennis would say, Dennis is very humble, but he would say yeah, really something, something caught on. People caught on that it was time to take care of the planet and to, and to end this, this mess that the industrialization had created in our society. Yeah, so it was this major collective reckoning with yeah. our relationship with the earth. So fast forward then 20 years into to 1990, because I understand that was kind of an exciting time in your career, Earth Day wise. It, really, it really was. I was at Rocky Mountain Institute at the time. We heard about this 20th Earth Day celebration. My boss, Amory Lovins, went off to New York, Battery Park, quarter million people were celebrating Earth Day there. I went to Chicago, Lincoln Park, there was 100,000 people in the park, a huge stage set up. I spoke right after uh, Mayor Richard Daley and, and right before Senator Paul Simon. I spoke to an audience of over 10,000 people uh, about how we didn't need, uh, we certainly didn't need nuclear power in Illinois. Uh, at the time I was holding up a complex fluorescent light bulb saying that energy efficiency is, is, our, is our path forward. But that Earth Day, by the way, went global and uh, over 140 countries, organizations in 140 countries all put on demonstrations or marches or did cleanups or whatever they happened to be. You end up having 200 million people involved in that, in that Earth Day. So you just see this dramatic uh, rise of, of interest. And now, and now Earth Day has become something that's celebrated by uh, about a billion people, about 14 or 15% of the world's population acknowledges Earth Day and actually takes some, does some, something around Earth Day. So yeah, it just grew in, in, in importance and in value to our society. Yeah, and we kind of had that conversation like, Earth Day, come on, every day is Earth Day. And at the same time, it has had a really significant impact on the world and raising awareness about the Earth to those that don't, don't know that every day is Earth Day or don't have that same experience. So 
thank you, Dad, for sharing a bit of the history and like the trajectory of how Earth Day has evolved. And so, Sky, we're going to turn it to you now because Earth Day is sort of evolved into, you know, with the youth coming on board and, and these issues having been unresolved for so long. What is what are you seeing now, Sky, with the youth? Um, and what does Earth Day mean for for young people today? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, it's nice to have that back context of, you know, where Earth Day has come. And, you know, I think back to 1990 when, you know, our dad was speaking in front of 10,000 people and it still felt very fringe. And I, even though it was getting momentum, it felt fringe and it felt very much um, of people, you know, being viewed as tree huggers and, you know, kind of hippies. And, and I, and I, and I love and commend my dad for sticking with it and always bringing forward the business angle. Um, and, uh, and I think that that really resonates now with me. Um, but now we're seeing a real, re real reckoning and, and understanding that like every day is earth day and the climate crisis is here and we are running out of time. And I think, you know, uh, when we were talking about putting on this podcast, you know, uh, I, you know, I think it's a really important day because not only do we celebrate it today, we celebrate it for this whole week. We celebrate it for this whole month. And now we're seeing that we're celebrating it year round. Uh, the, you know, young people know that their future is at stake. And I think they're really fed up with the people that didn't do anything. Um, you know, I think that there was some major environmental wins with, you know, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and we forget that often, of how big of wins that we did with that, with those types of policies. And so now when we're looking at, you know, this massive climate crisis that all of us are facing around the world, we should be looking at, you know, things that we've done successfully in the past and then building off of that. And, you know, the youth know that we have to do something. And I think that there is tremendous momentum that's happening right now of really people waking up to what is, uh, you know, their reality. It's every day, you know, and I, uh, I was, um, I was at this week, I was at the launch of the Good Energy Playbook. It's a playbook for screenwriters to learn uh, to do a better job telling climate stories. And, you know, one of the things that resonated with me, which I think is very uh, accurate when thinking about the entire climate crisis and the climate movement, is oftentimes people thought about climate change as this sort of sci-fi, far-off, apocalyptic situation. And the reality is that we are living it every single day with the air that we breathe, with the storms that are ravaging our communities. And we need to reflect that better in our everyday culture. So it's really exciting to see young people standing up and you know, trying to take steps to create tools like this Good Energy Playbook and other tools to help people tell the story in a more accurate picture. And I think that the youth know it and the youth are ready to act on it. And it's just about getting the old outdated people out of the way. And, and I think policy is a big part of it. And then also just raising your voice. And the other thing we've seen is that the environmental movement has grown. It's brought in to include environmental justice, which is really important because the environment doesn't live in a silo. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, Sky? How the environmental movements evolved to include justice and more of the social sustainability components? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of, you know, in, in a very loving way, it's a, it's a good depiction that dad mentioned that he was holding up a compact fluorescent light bulb back in the day um, as a white man. And I'm sure talking to a lot of white people, but the reality is that climate is going to be impacting um, in frontline communities and fence line communities first and foremost, and it's already doing that. Um, so our BIPOC communities that are living um, near factories or living near fossil fuel infrastructure, they are bearing the health burden. And I mentioned that I work uh, for the Harvard School of Public Health. So I always kind of look at it through the health angle. And environmental justice is about health. It really is about poisoning the people that are on the front line and then standing up for those people and making sure that their voice is heard and uplifting that um, energy. So, you know, I think that Finally, we're at a place where we're really starting to be inclusive in the environmental movement. I don't think it was necessarily meant to be uninclusive before, but now people are feeling much more inspired to, to raise their voice about what they're seeing in their communities and really taking uh, steps to uplift those, those, those communities and, and learn from them. Uh, you know, this, this week I, I, I hosted an event with some indigenous leaders that are living in North North Dakota on the, the Bakken oil fields. And, you know, they were talking about the health impacts that they're seeing on their communities. And, you know, all of these stories that you're hearing, you just, it is very, it is very, it's very upsetting. And, and there's a really, really big part of environmental, uh, of climate change that is related to environmental justice, because without protecting those frontline communities, we're never going to, we're not protecting the people that are actually getting the first impacts of climate change. So, you know, I'm really inspired by all of the people that are joining the movement and, and you know, talking about it from their angle. And, it, and it, it's becoming more normalized in many communities where it was never thought of before. It was not necessarily a front of their mind issue. Um, but we're seeing the impacts and, and, and people are standing up. So, uh, you know, environmental justice is everything when it comes to climate. It is, it is truly the only addressing the environmental injustices that are happening with climate change and fossil fuel extraction is the only way that we will be able to equitably lift up our whole planet and our whole health. I just, I just tag on, well put, well put. I just tag on there that, you know, as a company, EcoMotion does climate action planning. And, and this environmental justice angle or this dimension adds uh, tremendous complexity to, to the planning, but I think we are, we're all realizing this, taking us probably 52 years to realize that, that we do need to, uh, to apply sustainability throughout our society. And it can't just be, you know, it used to be just the rich people, the rich white people, you know, driving Priuses and get, getting Priuses and getting carpool medallions. Now it's the rich white people getting Teslas. Uh, it's the rich white people getting solar systems on, on their homes. But no, if we're going to be, uh, if we're going to achieve sustainability or to achieve sustainability, we will achieve sustainability. In order to do that, we need to develop approaches so that everybody has access to, mm -hmm. uh, to these technologies and to these practices. We need to finance it. We need to make, we need to make people, give people access to uh, clean mobility and clean air and healthy, live, and healthy housing. So it, it can't just be a movement of the elite. Right, it's got to be a movement of the masses, and I think that's I think it's a tremendous uh, a tremendous evolution here that the younger generation gets that this is a social issue, 
as well as an environmental issue. It complicates things, but that's the way, only way that we're going to really reach the sustainable state that we need to get to. Well, Sky, and I think you did a good, a really good job kind of painting the picture for us that it's these frontline and front fence communities. I hadn't heard that term before. Um, yeah, but folks who are who are really exposed to the worst impacts of pollution and climate change. Um, can you, either one of you, bring in some kind of an example because we hear this social justice component, environmental justice component, but, and dad, you said you've been doing some climate action plans and like you build inclusivity right into them. What's an example of sustainability, climate change, related project that also addresses these social inequities as well as the environmental components. Do either one of you have an example? Well, one, one thing that comes, yeah, I, I love this program that LADWP just put forth, which is a rebate program for used electric vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do we get, I mean, that's just one small example of a, of a means of getting electric vehicles into you know, lower income, uh, lower income communities is starting to, to acknowledge that. We have in the utility world, we have lots of programs for, for lower income folks, you know, home weatherization programs, all these are, real, all, all these are really important uh, aspects yeah. uh, in order to, to, to raise up uh, our society. But um, yeah, some of these, in, some of these innovative uh, rebate programs that, that, that can allow people that wouldn't normally have access uh, to get access, I think is very important. Yeah, that's that's a really uh, a, a great angle to be taking. And I, and I wanted to just mention one other project that we're working on right now, um, where we're building climate resilient healthcare clinics. So frontline communities um, and oftentimes rely on community healthcare clinics uh, during massive weather events. Um, and so they, they're really seeing the, the immediate impacts of climate on health. And working with partners like Johnson & Johnson and Biogen uh, and AmeriCares, we are working with these frontline community healthcare clinics to help equip them with the tools they need to better handle the climate impacts that they're seeing on their community. So not only are we looking at, you know, their infrastructure and uh, making sure that, you know, they have backup power and stuff like that. We're also helping to educate the practitioners, the doctors within the, within the clinics to tell their patients and make sure their patients know what mitigation strategies they can take when these major climate events are happening in their community. So for example, heat waves, they're one of the biggest killers of climate change. It's a silent killer because people don't necessarily talk about it as much, but they kill more people than any other climate disaster. And, you know, one easy mitigation strategy is making sure that, you know, that, that communities are checking on each other and they're checking on vulnerable part members of their community, um, as well as, you know, if they're able to install, uh, you know, get a fan or a solid uh, air conditioning unit, which I know there's been partnerships with utilities to do that kind of work. Um, so making sure that patients in these frontline communities actually know how to handle it themselves, you know, not only handle it themselves, but are prepared in a way that right now we're we are unprepared. So um, I think that there's a lot of really interesting ways that you can uplift communities and make sure that they are, um, you know, not only benefiting the environment, but also, you know, benefiting society. So not only, yeah, has our kind of 
collective scope of considering widened, but part of how Earth Day has evolved is that we have to now adapt to climate change and prepare our, our communities, especially those that are most vulnerable to the inevitable impacts of climate change that we're seeing. Um, so let's pivot to some action. Um, obviously Earth Day is every day, but what are some actions or solutions that we can recommend to some of our, our viewers out there? Um, Sky, would you like to kick us off? With, yeah. What are some of the kind of recommendations that you would impart on those who are curious? Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, first and foremost, we have to recognize that uh, every little action is important. It's, uh, you know, I think as a, as citizens, uh, when we look at the, the, you know, the overall carbon emissions of our planet, it's oftentimes daunting to think that one little personal action is going to be impactful um, when these major fossil fuel companies are playing such a big role in climate change and compared to the individual, it's, 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 it, it just doesn't stack up, but uh, all little actions are important. And, you know, so for me, and, and I know dad will get into some more personal actions that you can take on an individual level. But for me, I think first and foremost, we need to be talking about it. And I've seen that to be, uh, you know, re really there's gaining momentum around that. But the reality is when you start to talk about the climate crisis with people that are in your sphere of influence or your family members, they become a lot more receptive to hearing about it than if it's coming from the news. For example, you know, I think there's been a number of Republican senators that have come around to climate change because their children started telling them about why they were concerned about it. And so, you know, we have this world where we have, um, very polarized views on a lot of different things. And you have to understand that not everyone that you talk to is going to come around to climate change. There's something called the six Americas where you can see everything from denier to extremely concerned. And, you know, it's not always worth trying to convince someone that's in the deni denial state state of mind, but there's a lot of people that are in the skeptical and, and unsure state. And so, you know, I recommend that you figure out with your, whoever you're talking to, what's important to them. Is it national security? Is it healthcare? Is it Is it financial? And then you start to frame your conversation in a way that really resonates with that person that you're talking to. So, you know, I often, oftentimes like to talk about the economic value that people are going to get from, you know, switching their energy supply or whatever it, whatever it is, or the, or the job growth that be, can be created from, you know, building out renewable energies um, and, and through this whole green uh, revolution. Um, or, you know, thinking through the religious aspect, there's a big, you know, people are resonate to that. And then of course, you know, I, because I work in, in the health space um, it, it, and it has been proven that health is uh, very personal to people and oftentimes one of the biggest motivating factors to make change. So thinking, talking about how it's going to be impacting your family's health, your community's health, um, and, and just telling people, you know, trying to find out what meet people where they're at and what, what gets them motivated, um, and, and what, what matters the most to them. So I like to say, talk about it, find creative ways to communicate about it. You know, our news can only go so far. Uh, there's a term that we, uh, 
that is used with the media that when it bleeds, it leads. And so climate has oftentimes been depicted on the news as with all the doom and gloom, because that's what that's what gets the clicks. That's what gets the views. But the reality is that doesn't necessarily inspire action. So talking about the solutions that we have on hand and talking about the positive in the positive stuff that's happening around us, um, I think has, is a very powerful way to take action. Awesome. And I would just build on that by kind of asking these questions of who's doing what in your community. So in addition to kind of like who's in your network and what's your kind of sphere of influence, like what's already happening locally? Who's working on this? Who's the point person? Ask questions, be that point person if it doesn't exist, if they don't exist. Um, and so, yeah, my kind of, I guess, call to action would be to just step into your leadership role as a climate leader, as an earth champion. Um, it's, it's the potential we all have. And I think we're really being called to that right now. Um, but dad, let's wrap up with you. Some final recommendations for action. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, thank you. And I think I'd like to thank everybody uh, who's taken action uh, over the years. And uh, this is a dream come true that the environmental movement is as legitimate as it is today. You know, when I started out, it was the no nukes and we were, we were very fringe and we were fighting the establishment. But everybody is, is getting it now that, that, that we have one earth and, and one place to call home and we have to take care of it. And all of our all of what we do impacts everyone. So, so I, I'm, I'm very appreciative that uh, the awareness has, has, has risen to this point. And a lot of people have taken action. You look at this, this explosion of interest in electric vehicles that's going on right now. These are really big steps that are taking place. And Sky hit on this, you know, there, you can save money, you can have a more, more a higher performance car by, by going to an electric vehicle. So, so there's a lot of actions that have taken place. Um, we have lots of building codes that have made our, our buildings more efficient. We have appliance standards. We have all sorts of, uh, this awareness has, has raised the bar. We're, 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 certain, we're certainly, in these 52 years, we've made, we've made absolutely dramatic progress. So there's, there's big steps that people can take and we all think of the same things. I mean, electric vehicles and solar systems and putting new windows in your house and insulating your house, lots of things that we can do um, that, are, that, are, that are big steps. But I also think that it's important to celebrate all the little steps. And my mother is the greatest example of an environmentalist I know. What a great role model I've had. She recycles the tiniest little pieces of tinfoil. Uh, she she uses every doesn't waste any food at all. Uh, the lights are always off. Uh, the temperature is always turned down, or the temperature is allowed to float in the in the cooling season. Uh, this is just uh, these are just action little actions that that make a really big difference. Um, and so, you know, every day each of us faces a million decisions. Um, you know, it's it, what do we buy? What do we eat? Uh, who do you vote for? Um, what do you drive? Do you take the train? Do you compost? Do you recycle? Do you conserve water? These are all little steps that all will make a, a huge difference. At, at EcoMotion, we have a, a mantra, the power of the increment, the power of the increment. It's the inverse of the tragedy of the commons. And the tragedy of the commons, that was Garrett Hardin's ecological writings years ago. You know, before the Earth Day movement came along, nobody gave a damn, right? You just threw your garbage out the window. You let the industries pollute. You didn't care about the water, or the air sheds. That was all, those were the commons. And the tragedy was that nobody had that vested interest to take care of the commons. But now we realize through recycling, through conserving water, through conserving energy, 
because every step we take on every single day, we make a difference. Every increment makes a very big difference uh, in the collective sense. So that's very exciting. I'll just leave the, my little rant here with one of my very favorite examples of a very simple thing that you can do to save energy. And that is, if you go, if you own a car uh, and you take and you go shopping or you go commuting or you go commuting, whatever you do, plan your route to take right-hand turns. If you always take right-hand turns and plan your route so you're making right-hand turns, you're never waiting at the light to make a left-hand turn. It's much safer. And, you know, with right on red, uh, you can save. And so you, you save fuel. And, and so it turns out that UPS does this, FedEx does this, all the major delivery services do that because they realize they can save not only five to 10% on the fuel, but they can also save on time because of the right on red and they can do safer. When I do my, my afternoon bike ride, I always make right-hand turns. I'm never making left-hand turns because it's safer. So this is just a very, very simple, silly example. And there's, there's, there's thousands of little steps that we can all take, but here's one where you know, you save money, you save time, you save energy, save the planet, it's safer. You know, these are the kinds of win-wins that are, that are sort of special for us. So, but uh, thanks to everybody for all the little steps that, they, that you've taken, that you are taking. I think, I think collectively, um, collectively we are making great, great strides. And of course we need to keep the pressure up and continue. Yeah, so let's keep those right right hand turns going, um, and symbolic, metaphorically as well. Thank you all so so much for joining us today for this Earth Day special Flanagan Trio conversation. Um, this will be included to our archive of the Net Positive podcast. Really, really, really appreciate all you're doing for the Earth. Happy Earth Day, everybody! Wishing you all the very best. Enjoy. Nice. Cheers. Happy Earth Day.